the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Of AM 1420, The Answer, or Salem Media Group. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here, we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated with and Investment Advisory Services are offered to Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIFIC, Cornerstone Consultants, not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Welcome. Can you believe that next, next Saturday will be the official start of spring? Well, I can. With temperatures in the 50s and 60s this past week, I've been talking about spring for the last three weeks, and it's finally going to arrive next Saturday. I can see the green shoots outside my conference room window. I can't tell what they are, the crocuses or daffodils. I can generally tell what the tulips look like from their leaves. But old man winter, he might be neglecting us now, but he's busy dumping a couple feet of snow in the Colorados this weekend. I say we might have a, a, little, a little taste of that later in the week. Probably just a few weeks. Flowers or not, let's find the time this weekend to get outside and find out what's going on out there. Who knows? Maybe wandering around the backyard is a leprechaun. That would be a stroke of luck to find a leprechaun, particularly on Wednesday, which is St. Patty's Day. Irish celebrate and all of our adopted friends come to the party too. Every one of us has lots of reasons to celebrate and maybe we can even find a leprechaun's pot of gold. And another thing to remember this weekend, 
daylight saving time. That happens this weekend. Over Saturday night, you have to set the clocks forward by an hour. Remember the old saying, spring forward, fall back. It means that uh, we'll miss an hour of sleep, but we'll be at church on time. And returning to our leprechaun, if we don't find the pot of gold, we can work on our financial plan so that we can make our own gold. This week, global equity markets were mostly positive, except for uh, Asia, where they were mixed. And this week, there were several important economic events. But in the big picture, there's one fundamental fact. That is, we've gone from losing the war against the COVID to starting to turn the corner and beginning to win the war. The tempo of vaccinations has picked up 0.3 million per day. And that's a little shy of the production rate. With uh, Pfizer and uh, Biotech, uh, that's one group. They were originally contracted for 100 million uh, doses per quarter. So the first quarter would end on the end of uh, June. And uh, so, and then uh, later, the new administration added another 100 million doses to that contract. uh, And they have to produce those by the end of July. Moderna is in the same uh, same position. They're producing 100 million uh, doses per quarter for the first quarter, and then another 100 million doses for the second quarter, and then another 100 million doses before the end of July. And that equals, in the early part of the production, that equals about 2.2 million uh, doses per day. So just to get the vaccination rate up to 2.3 million, means that uh, they have expanded the production beyond what they had originally uh, planned. Good news. That means we'll get to the goal faster. In addition to that, Johnson & Johnson, uh, they're on the hook to supply 100 million doses before the end of the second quarter. That's before the the, uh, end of uh, June. And there'll be another 100 doses in the second half of uh, of this year. That's from Johnson & Johnson. And uh, AstraZeneca, uh, they're also under contract uh, to produce 100 million doses, but they haven't been approved yet in the United States. So basically, I think the uh, production and the uh, uh, production of the vaccines and also the vaccinations uh, have really picked up and have really gone into, you know, some sort of a uh, full tempo here. In addition, they're relaxing their uh, lockdown restrictions, and more of my clients have the already have the second dose. And in Cleveland, Mike, uh, Governor Mike DeWine, he announced that uh, uh, COVID-19 mass vaccination at the Cleveland State University's Wolstein Center starting uh, March 17th, St. Patty's Day, and running until April 28th. That's an eight-week eight week period. And that'll be running seven days a week, according to their announcement. And they're going to try to administer 6,000 doses of vaccine per day. So they do have a number there where you can give them a call and set up an appointment for yourself 
And the number is one eight three three four two seven five six three four. Or you can go on the internet and at uh, get the that's all one word, get the shot at uh, dot coronavirus dot uh, ohio dot go and get your uh, uh, schedule there, get your appointment there. And there's even some sort of a method of uh, uh, supplying substitution if necessary. So uh, give them a call if you're if you're wondering. And uh, they, who was it? Uh, the governor also announced that the uh, um, the uh, deadline, or not the deadline, call it the, the line uh, where people should get vaccinated or they can get vaccinated right now are basically 50 and above. So if you're 50 and above, uh, make some calls to uh, the, uh, uh, the the Wolstein uh, Center there or call your drugstore or call the uh, county health department. Get on the list and get your appointment and get your shots. So it, you know, it's, it's uh, nationally... Uh, they've gotten up to 101 million vaccinations so far, and moving at the pace that they're moving right now, which is 2.3 million uh, vaccinations per day, uh, they're going to get uh, 75% of the population vaccinated with two doses in five months. So five months from now is the middle of August. So what you're going to see is... Uh, uh, this is something that uh, Dr. Fauci talked about as their herd immunity. When you get a certain percentage of the population immunized with a vaccine, so you got a certain of the population will get vaccinated, and the other portion of the population will have uh, uh, had the disease or and be immune to it. So between the two of them, there'll be. Uh, uh, most of the U.S. population, or 75 to 80 percent of it, will be immune by uh, the middle of uh, August. So the United States has come a long way from their 250,000 cases a day and, and 4,000 deaths a day. Uh, it was during the holiday season. Right now, they're down to 50,000 new cases and uh, 1,500 uh, deaths a day, and they expect to get the deaths per day, I think, hopefully, down to four or 500 uh, per day. This is These are national numbers, not local numbers. And uh, according to the Wall Street Journal article, as COVID uh, wars, the other big event this week was the signing of the $1.9 trillion uh, American Relief Plan. That's this uh, latest uh, fiscal stimulus, and uh, that was signed into law this week, and uh, the direct deposits for the $1,400 checks per person, uh, that should maybe start, hopefully start, as soon as this uh, weekend. So uh, they've apparently uh, got that under control. So what we're seeing in this this uh, $1.9 trillion American relief plan uh give you a rundown that the uh, Wall Street Journal had in its uh, uh, papers. 
stimulus checks $1,400 each. That will go to uh, um, per household member, uh, adults and children, and uh, and adult dependents such as college uh, uh, students and also uh, elderly relatives. The idea here is that uh, these people on your 1040 as dependents. So each one of them will get $1,400. So uh, a case of a couple with two youngsters, uh, I think we'll get uh, uh, somewhere around $5,600, whatever four times uh, $1,400 is. So the, there's cuts off. There are cutoffs in those um, uh, chips, though. Um, for singles filing, uh, filing as single, uh, the you get the full uh, seventy. You get the full fourteen hundred dollars if your uh, adjusted gross income is less than seventy five thousand, and is eighty thousand. So. Uh, in the checks that went out in the CARES Act in uh, last March and also in the uh, $900 billion, uh, uh, the $900 billion stimulus in December, uh, there was a fairly large uh, time period where if you were less than 75000 you got the full check at... Uh, uh, if you were somewhere above seventy-five thousand, but less than one hundred and fifty thousand, then you got a partial check. It was uh, ramped down to the point where if you were making one hundred fifty thousand, then you didn't get any check at all. And uh, that was for singles and for uh, married couples filing jointly. Then you're talking about uh, uh, the cutoff starts at one hundred fifty thousand. At 160,000. So, if you're making uh, more than 160,000, there is no uh, checks in the, for married filing jointly. And if you're making more than 80,000, uh, there are no checks. There is no check for uh, singles. So, uh, and I mentioned before, they hope that uh, the direct deposits will start this weekend. That part of the bill is worth 410 billion dollars. You also have the extended unemployment program, which adds another $300 per week as a federal supplement to the state unemployment benefits, and that will carry out from uh, mid-March to September 6th. And they also added another surprise in there, and that is the first $10,200 of the uh, 2020 uh, benefits will be non-taxable if the household's making less than $150,000. Another aspect of it is the expanded, uh, 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 before we go on to that, that part of the bill was worth $246 billion. Another part of it is the expanded child care, uh, where the $2,000 child uh, care credit will go to $3,000 or $3,000 or $3,600 for children less than six years old, and also the earned income credit. So there's a lot of details in that particular area that I'm certainly not going to get into. And if you're 
involved in those particular areas, you're going to have to really talk to uh, the people involved. Uh, that part of the program is worth $143 billion, and then there's another $123 billion for distribution, vaccine distribution, and testing. So $16 billion for distribution, $10 billion for medical supply, $50 billion for uh, testing and uh, contract tracing. And then you've got a little odds and ends. One of the uh, part that is uh, important to some of my clients is this uh, multi-employer pension benefit guarantee corporation. In other words, if you look at if a company goes bankrupt or if they uh, and they begin to pass off the uh, the retirement plan off to the uh, pension benefit guarantee corporation, then the pension benefit guarantee corporation has two uh, plans in it. One is the single employer plan, and that was used by the airlines and the steel companies. And you know, if you work in the steel industry industry, uh, your pension benefits are generally coming from the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And for the single employer, uh, those benefits were fairly high if you were close to retirement. In other words, if you're 63 or 64 years old, uh, they went up as high as, I think, $5,500 a month, which is basically over uh, $60,000 a year. And but there's another plan called the multi-employer plan. And the multi-employer plan was a plan for, uh, like, the carpenters, uh, where you had a bunch of uh, builders, and uh, the, uh, they would join this uh, plan. And uh, if they went under, then their, their uh, pension benefits were for the union or for that corporate Union or for the Teamsters, in fact, uh, uh, people had uh, the Teamsters Union had been notified that uh, their plan was uh, woefully uh, underfunded and to expect some uh, reductions uh, in the future as they ran. So now they've got uh, $86 billion in this particular plan is to be used to support that multi-employer part of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. So that applies to the unions, the carpenters union, the uh, stationary engineers union, things of this nature, where you had a lot of employers. And uh, those benefits, uh, original benefits from the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, were nowhere near as large as the single Benefits, like I said before, in the uh, airlines and the steel mills and things of this nature, those benefits exceeded over sixty thousand dollars a year in pensions. Um, with this multi-employer, the limit is about twelve thousand dollars a year uh, guaranteed for their pensions. So uh, there have been instances where people have been notified that hey, their their pension. Uh, disappear over time and be prepared, and now uh, $86 billion appears in this plan to those particular 
pensions. Another thing is the $320 billion for state and local governments, where $195 billion goes to the state governments and $155 billion goes to the local and uh, 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 territorial governments. And then you've got little butts and pieces like $25 billion for independent restaurants, which have less than five outlets and small business grants and things of this nature. So there's a, uh, a host of uh, in this particular plan. Uh, and uh, I'm sure as, uh, you know, as the next week or two, the details come out about, and you can see about whether you're involved in that particular plan or not. Again, we mentioned at the early part of the show that the big thing is that uh, two big things that happened this week. One was the very fact, and that's the most important one, that we're winning the war against this uh, COVID, and we're seeing with these vaccinations and vaccines that uh, we'll probably be out of the woods by the middle of uh, uh, August, if not sooner. And the other part of it is this uh, uh, $1.9 trillion. Now, there's a lot of discussion that goes along with this $1.9 trillion in terms of, well, who's going to, how are we going to pay for these? Because so far we've kicked out, the federal government has kicked out $4 trillion uh, in 2020, and now they're putting another uh, $1.9 trillion in this particular uh, stimulus. Talk about an infrastructure uh, uh, plan. And so it will get interesting, and uh, that's raising concerns about uh, inflation with regard to the money flowing around in the system. We'll get to that later in the show. The the concerns about uh, uh, the enormous fiscal stimulus from the federal government possibly causing inflation, and it would definitely cause inflation. The question is how much and when and, and how, how is it going to be controlled. The federal government is increasing uh, the stimulus faster uh, than anticipated, and the uh, uh, the concerns are that inflation uh, could get uh, moving faster than the Federal Reserve and the economic community uh, predicts. The, incre- the increase in longer maturity bond yields recently has been an example. The 10-year Treasury yield, which had been uh, a little less than uh, 1%, I think it was 9 tenths or, or something like that, 9 tenths of a percent, at the start of the year, has now risen to about 1.5% uh, within the last month. Uh, but generally, inflation pressures haven't appeared yet in the consumer prices. One of the things that uh, this week, the Department of Labor released their consumer price index for February, and basically what that showed is that uh, the consumer price index uh, which measures what consumers pay for everyday items, including food, clothing, cars, recreational activities, increased at a uh, 0.4%, four uh, tenths of 1% in February from the prior month. And the, 
the culprit there seemed to be gasoline uh, prices. Gasoline prices for February had jumped 6.4% uh, over uh, the previous month, and that drove more than half of the uh, this uh, increase. And, uh, and also, in addition to that, electricity and natural gas prices, uh, they also rose 3.9%. So when you take a look at the, oh, I'd say hundreds of items that are in that consumer price index, the ones that stand out most are the energy ones, the gasoline and the natural gas and the, the electricity. So uh, everything else is kind of basically flat. In other words, we're not seeing the inflation yet in, uh, according to them, like new go prices, they say, are flat from month to month, uh, and uh, used vehicles, uh, prices fell, uh, apparel and medical uh, care, uh, they both fell. So over the 12-month period, the overall, the call the all-item CPI, which includes both fuel and food, uh, that's increased 1.7%, and the so-called core uh, price index, which excludes the food and energy, that only rose one tenth of a percent in February versus January, and it's only been up one point three percent over the past year. And uh, so, what they're looking at is this uh, inflation. They're looking for inflation, and they're not really seeing it so far in the. Um, the increase in the consumer prices. I think they will see it sooner or later because uh, the idea here is that uh, the gain in overall prices is going to uh, mark the modest increase in inflation as demands for goods and services grow and the winter weather boosted energy consumption. Uh, uh, local governments are beginning releasing uh, business restrictions and households are beginning to spend more, so uh, we expect annual inflation to also pick up. And investors and economists are split on the uh, inflation outlook, some predicting a wave of uh, rising prices driven by stronger demand and pandemic stimulus, while others say the forces that have contained price pressures for years, such as technology and demographics, are still in place. And uh, despite the softer, softer than expected figures, inflation is going to accelerate in the months ahead. And that's basically going to be driven by income growth, the vaccination campaigns, more people getting out, more people buying. Uh, so it is coming down the line. And the question is, uh, what are the impacts of it going to be? For instance, like, Next month, we'll see the March data, and and in that particular case, comparing the 12-month period, we're going to include the March data from a year ago. Well, the March data from a year ago, in terms of the price index, was uh, very, very, very low. So uh, you're going to immediately see that even with fairly small price increases during uh, March, you're going to see uh, annual uh, inflation suddenly jump above uh, 2%. So 
And uh, if you take a look around, what you're seeing is the economy is showing uh, inflationary pressures. Uh, one of the places it is in the uh, producer's price index. And the producer's price index, uh, month over month, uh, for February, a half of 1%. And uh, for the last 12 months, was up 2.8%. So these are the things that uh, are not consumer prices, but they are the prices that the companies pay for what they buy. And that's going to seep into the CPI sooner or later. And, uh, um, you know, we've mentioned before about the uh, uh, Institute of Supply Management. Uh, they, they were concerned very much about how to get these supply chains rolling again. In other words, as the economy picks up, what you're going to see is that uh, there's going to be more and more demand for products and services, and uh, these supply chains uh, have been uh, not shut down, but uh, throttled, and now they're going to have to be brought back up to speed. And there's going to, there's going to be, be a lot of inter, be a lot of give and take with regard to uh, can I get my product and when, at what price. And uh, what you're going to see is price increases and as well as uh, uh, strung out uh, delivery schedules. Uh, if McAleese, uh, we can... Uh, uh, let's go, uh, let's uh, go for a right now. Uh, for a word from our sponsor. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets... With the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-E1110. Now let's go to our phones. Hello, George. How are you? I'm doing fine, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great, too. It's a beautiful day. We should enjoy it. <laughs> what can I, I do for I, you? Uh, yes, I've got a... Okay, this is pertaining to an RMD withdrawal uh, question. 
basically, I have uh, I have seven mutual funds in my IRA, which right. I have to withdraw from my RMD. My question is mm-hmm. to you: Is basically, how do I withdraw the money from? Do I withdraw the money from the highest uh, fund or the largest fund or the the one that is not uh, producing? a great benefit to me, or do I take an average of each one of them out? Okay. The the uh, uh, typical way to do that is, and a lot of your uh, um, mutual funds will automatically do it this way, is they'll keep the portfolio back. Uh, you've got so much of this fund, let's say it's... Uh, uh, Ten uh, percent of your portfolio. Well, they'll, they'll take ten percent of the required minimum distribution out of that fund. So they'll try to keep it balanced and take the same per- the uh, percentages out, so that the the overall uh, portfolio doesn't change its look. In other words, uh, you're not ending up out of the, the uh, uh, bonds. And leaving the stocks alone, and then suddenly, ten years later, you've got a uh, a portfolio that's gone from sixty percent stocks to seventy five percent stocks. Um, and but there there are other methods of doing it. Just like you mentioned, uh, you take a look at your portfolio and you indicate, uh, hey, uh, who's not doing well. Uh, you know, the old saying is devil take the hindmost, and that you have to be careful that uh, uh, you don't end up, you know, uh, biasing um, your portfolio. And uh, suddenly you're getting rid of the um, bonds rather than the stocks because the stocks are performing better than the bonds, and suddenly you aren't ending up with a uh, stock heavy portfolio which in turn increases your risk, uh, which you may or may not want. You know, like in today's world, uh, you might want more uh, risk with the economy recovering and things of this nature. But uh, the simple to do it is to just take the same, uh, take the percentage uh, out of your portfolio to keep the final percentage the same as it was before. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it makes sense, but it's hard to do that. I mean, because I have, you know, one of well, my funds is, one, one of my funds well, is uh, year-to-date is making, you know, double digits, and then the then I have another fund that is losing money. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I know exactly what you're saying. That's the classic, uh, that's the classic problem that you're going to be faced with. Certainly, if you Keep the uh, balance constant, then keep it as it was before. Then you're going to be taking out the funds that are making money, and uh, uh, you don't want to do that. So it, it, uh, uh, you can the circumstances, George. In some cases, I've gone and said, okay, it's okay to go a little heavier into the stocks. a little lesser into the bonds, uh, so I I get rid of the bonds rather than the stocks and the required minimum distribution. 
other time it's uh, uh, you're you're not you don't see a bias in one way or the other whether it's better to have more stocks uh, or more bonds. So and then you let the the uh, mutual fund company make their decision in terms of uh, taking it out of each one uh, in proportion to that. Uh, percentage of the portfolio. So, okay, Jim. What is your, what is, what is your mutual fund company allowed? They allow Pardon? you to take them out individually. Is your well, mutual fund basically, I'm. Um, it it I'm doing it by myself. Oh, okay. You know, my, <laughs> my mutual fund is saying, uh, you know, George, you know, it's up to you as to. You know what percentage Good. you want to take out from each one. Okay. The answer to your question, George, is that uh, uh, you just have to sit down there and look at it and say, in the in the next few years, uh, not strictly for today, but over a period of time, uh, what should you be doing? Should you uh, be increasing the uh, letting the stocks ride? And uh, taking the the, the hindmost out, uh, that's going to change your portfolio. But you might decide, hey, uh, for the next couple of years, that's going to be a good thing. So you just do it. Thanks Anybody a lot. Okay. Thanks a lot, take Jim. Take care, George. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one. 888-281-1110. You know, it's a lot easier to let the um, the mutual fund company make that, uh, uh, take a little bit of that out of each one to keep the uh, portfolio balanced the way it was before. And uh, that's the, the textbook way of doing it. And uh, that way there's no... Uh, thoughts about uh, oh, am I going to end up with uh, a heavier stock portfolio than than uh, I would have ordinarily? So, but George is facing that problem. He's taking a look at the numbers and saying, "Oh, and this was making this make good money, and I don't want to get rid of it." So, uh, yeah, like I say, I've done it both ways. So. There's no hard and fast rule to this thing. This is Jim Michaelis again. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. A long time ago when the earth was green And there was more kinds of animals than you'd ever seen They'd run around free when the earth was being born But the loveliest of them all was the unicorn it was green alligators and long neck geese. Some Humpty Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. You can see this is the Irish day in inspiration for St. Patty's Day on Wednesday. So. <laughs> hey, let's go to the phones again. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Can I help you today? Hey, Jim, it's Colleen. Yes. I'm, um, uh, Scott gave us a call, but he didn't want to be on air. 
And he's got a great question. He says, does renter's insurance cover all roommates in the apartment, or does each roommate need to have their own insurance policy? Okay. Uh, Generally, the best thing to do is to have each one do their own policy. That way, it keeps everything clean. And uh, the idea here is that, you know, this is if you're in college, uh, uh, you know, is your... Does your parents' homeowners policy uh, provide coverage for this? And uh, you can you can check with your policy to be sure. But in, in a lot of cases, these policies are fairly cheap, and uh, uh, you might be you, rather get into squabbles about who owes who. Just get the thing. And uh, uh, renters' insurance uh, won't won't cover your roommate's possession unless the two of you share policy, which in some cases is not allowed, but hey, best thing to do is get your own renter's policy. Realize that hey, this is a a rental property. Your landlord has uh, insurance on the property, but the insurance that he has on the property is generally about uh, uh, the structure itself and the home itself. Uh, As far as the uh, possessions, your private possessions that are in the uh, apartment or the, this place that you're living in, uh, being due to fire or theft, hey, that's generally not covered under the landlord's policy. It's best that you have your own individual policy. And uh, uh, what you do is go talk to your insurance uh, agent, uh, preferably an insurance agent that your your family is dealing with now, and maybe you can uh, 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 bulk it up with uh, uh, insurance that you have already, that your your family has already. So uh, that'll cover uh, your belongings in case uh, uh, there's a fire or theft or uh, even someone is injured and uh, uh, your dog bites somebody. uh, this is one of the things that uh, you have to talk about and see if you can get the uh, uh, coverage for it. Better to have, better to have the coverage and not worry about it than uh, be thinking that uh, uh, what's going to happen if somebody cleans this apartment out. So you get your coverage. Get it. If you got other guys, other people, uh, get uh, get each one of you get your coverage. And like I say, if uh, you can get it bundled up with insurance that you have already, um, be it your parents' insurance or your car insurance or something like that, all the better because uh, that's one good way of getting the prices down. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Scott. If not, just give us a call back. The number. Excuse me? Oh, Leo. Hello. This is Jim McAlee. Leo. Morning. How hey. are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can I help yeah. you? I got a question. Um, deferred compensation investments. You're you're definitely on board with that, right? Right. Is it a good investment? Um, why is it so difficult for the outside that can't and invest in de- deferred compensation, but in a way 
they got government protection pretty much sewed up. Exactly. How long did it start in Ohio? Does anybody know? I don't know. Uh, one of the things that I often was, uh, connect deferred compensation with is that if you're a, uh, uh, a valued employer and uh, you're special to the company and uh, uh, you're outside of the u- usual ERISA uh, retirement plans. Hmm. And, uh, it basically says, okay, we're, we're going to give you a special retirement plan for yourself. And uh, there are certain rules and regulations. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see you being able to buy in from the outside. That that's, sounds kind of strange to me. Hmm. Am I missing something? Uh, Deferred comp. Yeah. They do investments also, correct? Because that's why they can match dollar for dollar. Okay. But uh, uh, when you talk about deferred comp, uh, basically, the the uh, are you talking about the state plan? Pretty you know, much, yeah. Pretty much, because it's protected. Okay, that's why that's uh, why they have that border wall there, so you can't break in. Okay, so basically, you're in the inside. You're. I was thinking when you first brought this up, I was thinking about the executive programs of hmm. uh, the third comp, where you've got people that are basically outside any retirement plans, mm. and uh, there are certain rules and regulations there. But if you're talking about the third comp, uh, the third comp is usually the, the, uh, uh, the, loca- the local government or state government uses to um, under retirement and partially under retirement because there are certain general rules and regulations on it that I I'm not up to speed with all the details, but the, the rules and regulations generally indicate that you can be on the deferred comp, uh, or maybe that's the drop program, uh, if you're going to leave in a certain amount of time. Are you, uh, is that the type of program you're thinking about? or just? I think that's pretty much time? it, because you multiply that by 300, sometimes 3,000, and that's quite mm-hmm. a bit of an investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a huge yeah. investment. Yeah. Now, uh, Leo, I, I'm really not up to speed. On yeah, I was just curious. But you really about. don't know what year it started in Ohio, did you, or any state? Oh, it, it's been there for quite a while. The thing when you I say while, you it, say more than 90 years? I, well, more than five years. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> that was yeah, nice. Okay. <laughs> The executive. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. You take care, Leo. Thanks for calling. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Show. You can give us a call over the toll-free number. It's one eight eight two eight one eleven ten. One of the things that uh, we looked at in terms of uh, how's this economy doing is uh, – the big companies seem to be doing very well in terms of getting ready for the uh, recovery. In other words, by saying getting ready for the recovery, everybody is looking at uh, when's this COVID situation going to be over? When am I going to be able to travel again? When am I going to be able to go to a movie theater or a restaurant? 
and uh, the, the, uh, we know it's coming. They've got a, uh, a schedule. No, not a, uh, it's a rough schedule, like the middle of uh, this summer. Uh, we'll be out from under this thing. But uh, and we know the big businesses have tons of uh, cash because they've been gone to the, the uh, uh, bond market. And they're getting ready because if I look at equipment uh, uh, sales for uh, December, they were up uh, over 3%. Putting their money into computers and machinery and things of this nature in anticipation of uh, the recovery, which is all, uh, you know, good stuff. But there's a lot of questions with regard to uh, not the big companies, but more like Main Street. And there's an organization called the National Association of Independent Businesses. And they put out a uh, report every month, and they put out one for March that is kind of illuminating, and uh, uh, I just want to read some of the comments uh, from that particular report, and uh, it gives you some of how this other Main Street economy is different than the big company economy. A uh, uh, quote here is from their statement. This is very section of their report. The Main Street economy is bifurcated, with construction, manufacturing, transportation, which is doing very well. Other services, restaurants, retail, non-internet retail, are doing poorly. Uh, employment is still 8 to 10 million below levels reached in January and February of 2020 before the pandemic. Capital spending has been strong for the last three quarters but not on Main Street, not on Main Street. In recent months, most of the new homes sold have not been built yet, exposing builders to rapid increases in material prices. Most of the expected $1,400 checks will be saved, not spent, but the extra unemployment and child care credits will be spent. Inventory building is still strong, adding to the uh, added to the strong consumer spending, it appears that gross domestic uh, product will be very strong in the first quarter, 4% or better. I've heard numbers like 6%. A great uh, performance in any year. However, this is growth supported by government stimulus, not by a strong private sector. It continues. On Main Street, the picture is less exuberant. The, uh, optimis the optimism index is at 95.8, which is two points below the average, the 47-year average of 98, and far from the 108 reading uh, reached in 2017. So, uh, compared to 2017, the main street is still in the dumps. And compared to a year ago, the net percent of is planning to increase employment is basically 5% lower, uh, but the overall outlook for the economy is down 41% point, 40, 41% for expected business conditions in six months, 18% for expected real sales, and 20% uh, for good time to expand. So basically what you're seeing is that the 
hiring, capital spending, inventory, investment spending, all depend upon expectations of future sales and business conditions, and these are not strong at all. A lot of uh, uh, Main Street is not fully operational. Uh, Restaurants, gyms, specialty retail stores, and more all depend upon foot traffic, and that foot traffic is not there. And uh, so the sentiment in the uh, Main Street, which is basically the small independent businesses, is definitely compared to the large corporations. Large corporations, uh, I think they're basically exuberant in the sense that uh, um, in February 2020, uh, nobody knew what was going on and nobody knew what was happening and what would the future hold and what to do next other than grab a hold of as much cash as they possibly could. Uh, Now, I think uh, the big companies are, again, planning to be part of this recovery and uh, are gearing up and uh, getting their supply chains and their inventories and everything else in shape, and they're tearing their hair out doing that because there's a lot of problems there. But on Main Street, where you're talking restaurants and and shops and things of this nature, things look pretty bad, according to this uh, according to this report. And I can imagine that things are uh, pretty bad there. My small business people, uh, I know that uh, uh, when the uh, payroll protection plan came around, that was a big godsend to them. And uh, there were two big pieces of that. One was in the uh, CARES uh, Act of uh, March of 2020, and the other one was that nine uh, part in um, the stimulus at the end of uh, uh, December of 2020. So those uh, payroll protection plans were were real godsend in terms of uh, uh, getting loans from uh, banks through the Small Business Administration uh, to keep their uh, to keep their going. So, to me, it, it's it, you know the quicker we get this uh, operation going, I think the better. According to consumers, uh, if we take a look at we we're changing the gears now, looking at uh, consumers' sentiment, and it's come up for March. At March, it's 83 versus 76.8 in February. A year ago, I don't know what it was a year ago, but March a year ago, it was 89. And now we're, we're coming up to 83. So according to their chief economist, Richard Curtin, consumer sentiment rose in early March to its highest level in the year due to a growing number of vaccinations as widely as well as a widely anticipated passage of Biden's relief measures. The gains were widespread across all social economic backgrounds in all regions, although the largest monthly gains were concentrated among households in the bottom third income distribution, as well as those age 55 or older. Over the past 50 years, the key age group that consistently led recoveries what was the last age group to indicate a pending recession where consumers under age 35. So 
what you're seeing is what you're seeing is consumer sentiment is uh, picking up, and overall, according to this summary, the data indicates strong growth in consumer spending during the year ahead, with the largest percentage gains for services, including travel and restaurants, and the smallest increases is for vehicles and homes. So uh, we'll see what happens there as we as we move forward into this recovery. This is Jim McAleese. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. We know when Patrick's Day and generally a cause for celebration, but we expect celebrations will be subdued this year because of what's about the COVID. You know, and people worry about things that they believe are basically out of their control. One of those is their health. Here's an old Irish philosophy on worrying, and it goes like this. Either you're well or you're sick. If you're well, there's nothing to worry about. But if you're sick, you have two things to worry about. Either you'll live or you'll die. If you live, there's nothing to worry about. If you die, you have to worry about. Either you'll go to heaven or you'll go to hell. If you go to heaven, there's nothing to worry about. But if you go to hell, you'll be so busy shaking hands with your friends that you won't have time to worry. So forget worrying about things you can't control. (laughs) And win your money game, get a game plan, then you can stop worrying about your financial future as well. Here's another proverb. Remember the Irish were the guardians of a little bit of heaven that once fell vertically from the sky. And the Irish might give you a blessing that goes like this. May your glass be ever full. May the roof over your head be ever strong. May you be in heaven a half an hour before the devil knows you're gone. So... Until we meet again next week for more Get Rich Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, Call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420, The Answer, or Salem Media Group. Sometimes there's just no...